He certainly does hear all of our cries every day, every night, day and day, and by and by, he hears all of our cries and prayers. Here's the prayers of the saints. We can go to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, for anything under the sun. Yes and amen. You know, I remember being in Bible college, man, it seemed like uh, yesterday, and uh, hearing many of the, song, of the, of the, of the uh, hymns and the songs that you um, enjoy today, I remember hearing them for the first time, and they were like a soothing balm to my soul, um, hearing them and learning about Christian music hymns and just the theological um, drippings of holiness that I would listen to and hearing the Word of God articulated for the first time and um, in a number of ways, and the Lord used many of those things to um, shape me and grow me. I'm still growing, still learning, just like you, still growing, still learning, the faith once and for all delivered to the saints, and I'm just thankful for the worship team for that great reminder of so many years past, and it's a great reminder today. As you are aware, we are going through our church's theme this year pertaining to hope for everyday life, with a particular emphasis on hope for fruitful service. And what that looks like through God's people in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you know what God's Word says about you. To some degree or another, yes? To you who are more uh, seasoned in your walk, you know, we tend to know more. For those who are less seasoned or you're perhaps new to the faith, you tend to know less. But the commonality that both the young in the faith and the more seasoned in the faith is that we're all still growing, right? All still growing. And that as a result of your saving faith in Christ alone, you will bear a changed life. You will bear a changing life that Scripture calls fruit. You will either bear good fruit or bad fruit. We would do well to heed the words of our Lord who said that it is by one's fruit that we would recognize God's people, right? I mean, to put it another way, our changing lives, our changing lives correspond with a changing heart. Yes? Follow me so far? But by way of application, what is, this is a good question, what is the regular fruit of my life? What is the regular fruit of your life? You should be growing. Our Lord said that when He redeems a person out of the pit of darkness and into the marvelous light of the banner of the cross, He promises believers... And he says that you will change. You will be a changing person. 
Because the fruit of a changed life is the moniker that the Spirit of Christ has taken residence in that person's heart and life. Now, do Christians act carnally at times? Of course. Of course. We can and do at times stumble, sometimes harder than others. We do act in sinful ways, but we're not carnal in our nature. Do you see the difference? Because now that we have been redeemed by Christ out of the marketplace of sin, and Colossians 1, 13 and 14 teaches us that, Christ has, in effect, according to 1 John chapter 3, 8, He has destroyed the works of the devil. In other words, if anyone is in Christ, he has a new nature. As Paul put it in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, John is saying that there is a difference between the children of God and the children of Satan by their lifestyle. You see that? By their lifestyle. What is the moniker of your life? Those who are born from above will reflect the growing habit of righteousness, not perfection. It's not the perfection of your life, it's the direction of your life, yes? We will reflect the growing habit of righteousness while those who are not redeemed, those who have not been born again will reflect the habit of darkness. They will bear a different moniker. Their fruit will be very different. And in verse 10 in 1 John, for example, of his letter, he writes that the children of God and the children of the devil, he says, are obvious. He says, anyone who does not practice, see this, it's a lifestyle. Anyone who does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor the one who does not love his brother. What is the moniker of your Christian life? What does it look like? So I think it makes biblical sense, right? It makes biblical sense saying Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 and 23, that the Christian, the follower of Jesus Christ, born again, bought, redeemed, out of the marketplace of sin, into the marvelous light of Christ, Paul says in Galatians chapter, 22, chapter 5, rather, verse 22 and 23, that the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, right? Gentleness, self-control, such things there is no law. After a person comes to Christ, the Holy Spirit makes this kind of fruitfulness evident, it's not a secret. It's not a secret. There is no such thing as a secret Christian, right? You will bear fruit. You will pulsate with holiness. You will have a new spiritual life, and you will have pulsating spiritual sap, as it were, and you will bear a changing life, and people will begin to see a marked difference in you. I remember when I first became a believer, it wasn't noticeable right away, right? Just like you see a tree, spring comes, and you see the buds, but it's not necessarily noticeable right away, and then all of a sudden, the, the, the sap gets warm, it begins to 
to penetrate all throughout the tree, and all of a sudden the fruit, the leaves begin to grow. And so right away, I remember, being a born-again believer wasn't quite noticeable until sometime later when my friends who were mostly unbelievers at the time began to tell me, Dave, there's something different about you. And I would ask them, what? He says, well, you don't have a mouth anymore. <laughs> so if, if you would have known me back in the day, you would have known very quickly that I was no Christian <laughs> by the things that came out of my mouth, by the behavior that I would display behind the scenes in the dark. You would know right away that my lifestyle, the moniker of my life, was different. It was dark. It was dark. And all of a sudden, the Lord caused a change in me. Salvation came into my heart. I'm like, what in the world is going on? <laughs> I didn't know, really, right? Don't really quite know right away. You just know something is different. You begin to go to church. You begin to get some accountability. You stumble and fall along the way. I still stumble and fall along the way, right? You grow and change, and then your friends begin to take a step back because they, there is a stench about you that is very different. It's just very different. And then they tend to go their own way, and you tend to go the way of the cross, fruit, fruit, not, perf- not perfection, but direction. We've been working through the, the book of First Peter, right? And as most of you are aware, it was written in AD 65 to people who were scattered. I mean, we've been drumming that in your head. They've been scattered by the maniac Emperor Nero. And part of what we found that was both amazing and encouraging is that Peter affirms that people like you and me in the midst of trials and hardships and difficulties can still be people who have hope, right? Can have a living hope because even Peter in his own day said, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again. That's not the scripture reference up there, but I just want to read this to you. To a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And then John chapter 15, we read, Our Lord who said, You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you would go and what? Bear fruit, right? You would go and bear fruit. And that your fruit would remain. So this summer, we're, we're dipping our spiritual toes, right? <laughs> During our, our, dipping our spiritual toes in, in the waters of Second Peter. And his letter was written about three years after the first one. And he's really concerned. He's really concerned, be, not just with regards to the outside persecution by Emperor Nero and the spreading out of the church because of persecution, but now they're is false teaching that has infiltrated the church. And when that happens, outside and inside, the production of fruit in our lives has a tendency to slow down. That's both doctrinally and even practically. But the point to the end of the spirit that I want you to get is this, that genuine hope always produces lasting fruit. 
with what you and I believe and, and how we behave. And so with that in mind, we're going to be looking at two passages of Scripture. We're going to be looking at 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 5. That's if, you, if, you don't have a, if you're old school like me, you want a nice hard copy. It's going to be on page 185 of the Bible under your seat there. That's 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 5. And then we're going to be, just keep your thumb on 2 Peter 1. And then, or rather, Daniel, we're going to be looking at Daniel chapter 1. That's going to be on page 628. And if I, by any chance, got those pages wrong, forgive me, I blame it on VBS. VBS tends to wear you out. <laughs> and we're talking about growing fruit, right? We're talking about growing the fruit of moral excellence. Page 628, brother. 628. That's the book of Daniel in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 5, page 183. So page 183 and page 628. 628. We're looking at growing the fruit of moral excellence because the very... That's the very first characteristic that Peter mentions in his list, beginning in verse 5, 2 Peter. Chapter 1, verse 5, he says this. He says, Now for this very reason also, applying all diligence in your faith, supplying moral excellence. Moral excellence, that word for applying, it's from the Greek word, did I say that right? You know, I have, it's bad enough that I'm trying to still learn English. I mean, it just refers to, to something that's being brought in, to bring in or to supply besides, and it implies making a strong effort to provide something that's necessary in view of and parallel to God's endeavor in providing salvation. Believers are c- compelled to call on all their regenerate faculties to live godly lives. To live godly lives. The author goes on to quote and to say that believers must carry out that effort with all diligence, zeal, eagerness, accompanied by a sense of urgency. And so there's a sense in which we kind of run into a, a theological minefield. Because we understand that on the one hand, we're not saved by our own human merit, right? But on the other hand, people who have, been, who have genuinely come to Christ will be relying on the power of God to develop spiritual fruit. A true born-again believer in Christ will bear the fruit of a changed and changing life, yes? You will bear something. You will bear Fruit. I mean, it's all the balance between what Ephesians chapter 2, 8, and 9 say and Ephesians 2, 10. It's all the balance. For by grace you've been saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not as a result of works, not by my own human merit, lest anyone may boast. And then it says here in verse 10, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. Notice 
in Philippians chapter 2, verse 12 and 13. I know this is a num- number of scripture references, just trying to wet your minds here real quick. So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And then it says this, for it is God who works at work in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. There it is, virtue. Erite in the Greek uses a distinctive word in classical Greek for virtue. It was a a lofty term. It was used for moral heroism viewed as this divinely endowed ability to excel in heroic, courageous deeds. It came to encompass the most outstanding quality in someone's life with a proper and excellent fulfillment of a task or duty. It never meant cloistered virtue, but that which is demonstrated in the normal course of living. And so, I mean, that's the question, right? Before us. I mean, is our hope in everyday life producing the fruit of moral excellence? Again, not the perfection of your life, but the what? But the direction of your life. Would the people around us say that we are a growing people of integrity. It takes time to grow in integrity, right? The more you read the Word of God, the more the Word of God sheds light in your heart and you're exposed to the blindness of your own heart and you begin to grow and grow and grow. And so, with that background in mind, I would hope that you would see four obstacles to integrity that God helped Daniel and God can help us to overcome Now, having said that, please turn to the book of Daniel, chapter 1, verses 21. The book of Daniel. I'm going to read this to you, okay? With the time I have left, I got to read it. It's not here in in the PowerPoint. Let me just give you the background here. Start with the scripture reference. I'm just going to go ahead and read it. The book of Daniel, 1, verses... And read all the way through verse 21. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. The Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand along with some of the vessels of the house of God. And he brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God. And he brought the vessels into the treasury of his God. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, the chief of his officials, to bring in some of the sons of Israel, including some of the royal family and of the, of the nobles. Verse 4, youths in whom was no deceit, defect rather, who were good-looking, showing intelligence, in every branch of wisdom endowed with understanding, and discerning knowledge, and who had ability for serving in the king's court. And he ordered him to teach them the literature and the language of the Chaldeans, and that's the Babylonians, the king appointed for them a daily ration from the king's choice food and from the wine which he drank and appointed that they should be educated three years, at the end of which they were to serve under the king's personal service. Verse 6. Now among them, from the sons of Judah, were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, Then the commander of the officials assigned new names to them. And to Daniel he assigned the name Belshazzar, to Hananiah, 
Shadrach to Mishael, Meshach and to Azariah and Abednego. What is going on, right? Verse 8, but Daniel made up his mind that he would not defile himself with the king's choice food or with the wine which he drank, so he sought permission from the commander of the officials that he might not defile himself. Now God granted Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the commander of the officials. And the commander of the officials said to Daniel, quote, I am afraid of my lord, the king, who has appointed your food and your drink. For why should he see your faces look more haggard than the youths who are your own age? Then you would make me forfeit my head to the king, verse 11. But Daniel said to the overseer whom the commander of the officials had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, verse 12, please test your servants for 10 days. And let, us begin some, and let us be given some vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearance be observed in your presence and the appearance of the youths who are eating, the king's choice food, and deal with your servants according to what you see. So he listened to them in this matter and tested them for 10 days. Verse 15. At the end of 10 days, their appearance seemed better, and they were fatter than all the youths who had been eating the king's choice food. So the overseer continued to withhold their choice food and the wine they were to drink and kept giving them vegetables. Verse 17. As for these four youths, God gave them knowledge and intelligence in every branch of literature and wisdom. Daniel even understood all kinds of visions and dreams. Then at the end of the days which the king had specified for presenting them, the commander of the officials presented them before Nebuchadnezzar the king, talk with them. And out of them all not, one was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they entered the king's personal service. As for every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king consulted them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and conjurers who were in his realm. And Daniel continued until the first year of Cyrus, the king. That was a mouthful, right? <laughs> that was a mouthful. Again, we are talking about growing the fruit of moral excellence, and we're looking at it with particular in the life of Daniel and his compatriots. And we're looking at four obstacles to integrity that God helped Daniel, and God can help us overcome. And the first thing I want to observe is the obstacle of making excuses because of your age, because of your age. When Daniel was exiled and his friends to Babylon, they were likely 14 to 15 years old. That's pretty young, right? That's pretty young. But, but when they were exiled, when they were exiled to Babylon at the age of 14 and 15, even their age did not stop them from doing the Lord's work, right? So what does that say for those of you young people who are here, who are just an earshot of my voice? What does that say about your life? What does that say about anybody here of varying ages here? What does that say about us? I mean, the Lord can certainly use anybody, right? Of course. He could use Daniel. He can use his friends at that age. I mean, do you remember how they 
even got there in the first place? How did Daniel and his friends get there in the first place? Just a quick recap. You know what happened. Perhaps you need a reminder. Genesis chapter 12. Go back all the way to Genesis chapter 12. God comes to a man named Abram, and he tells them he's going to make a great nation out of him through a series of promises and covenants, through land, seed, and blessing. And all Abraham's responsibility was to respond in what? Faith. Just believe in me. Just believe in the Lord. So Abraham believes God by faith alone, and we know that it was accounted to him as righteous. He was imputed to him righteousness. God gave him a righteousness that it was not his own. And then as you read through the Old Testament, you see God's promises repeated to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, and God's chosen nation of Israel is born. They would be later judged, but first, before that, God would warn his people, even before they even entered the promised land, that if you do forsake the covenant that I made with you, you will be judged and you will be taken captive by foreign nations, which actually happened. Who was the foreign nation under which Daniel was under and his friends? Babylon. Babylon. And Babylon took particular choice citizens of Israel back to their land. And it was under these conditions that these 14, 15-year-old kids find themselves in. They're no longer in their land. They're in a land that's not their own. And if that weren't the worst of it, the Babylonians were trying to make the Babylon, or Babylonians, wherever you want to put it, were trying to, how do you put it? make Babylonians out of them. We're trying to ingrain them in their way of thinking. Eat our food, wear our clothes, adopt our culture, names, and most importantly, adopt the worship of our gods. In other words, compromise your moral excellence. You see this? Do you see where this is going? Stop being God's holy people. Blend into our pagan culture. You see where this is going? I mean, what if that happened to us if we were in their shoes, 14, 15 years of age? I mean, I wonder how we would have fared. I kind of wonder. I mean, it's kind of a head scratcher. The only way that I believe that we can remotely answer that question is not because of Daniel. It's not because of Daniel or his friends. It's because of Daniel's God. I mean, what are, the, some, what are some lessons that we could just take home for us today? What are some lessons for, for us here, for people like you and me? What could we learn through the book of Daniel or just reading through his life? And I think, number one, I think the most important lesson would be the value of training children and young people to love God and to live for him. Oh, that's hard, right? It's hard to do, to fortify their minds under the teaching of God's word and living by what it says. But even before that, we had better do that for ourselves and to exemplify a model of growing excellence. Again, not perfection, but what? Direction. But direction. You know God can help us, right? God can help us young people do important things for him now. I mean, that's the one of the reasons why I love and you love Christ. That's why we love Christianity. You don't have to be a certain age 
chronologically or spiritually before God can start using you. God can use people who are young in the faith. And if you're seasoned in the faith, he can use you as well. Or if you have become a born-again Christian late in life, he can even still use you then. He can use anybody. He can use anybody in whatever walk of life that you find yourself in. Make every effort. We've been drumming this into your head. Make every effort to add to your saving faith what? Moral excellence. Well, we looked at the first obstacle. Is there another obstacle we can look at? I think we can. I think we can look at the obstacle becoming bitter because of where you find yourself, because of your place. Daniel had been taken from his home. (laughs) He'd been taken from his home. He'd been taken from the promised land. Daniel and his friends, I mean, they could have responded to their circumstances in a way that is not proper. They could have acquiesced to the mores of the culture. But, you know, we know that that's not what happened, right? Just go ahead and just read the book of Daniel. We know that that's not what happened. Because we know that he didn't let his hard circumstances determine his choices. I mean, I think that's a good question for us all, right? I mean, it's pretty apropos to our lives, principles. Am I letting the disappointments or whatever place I find myself in be an excuse for sinning in some way? I mean, were these difficult circumstances in Daniel's life? Oh, man, of course. Of course. Daniel was being groomed, for goodness sakes. He was being groomed for service under King Nebuchadnezzar. He had no home anymore. He's in a different land. And what kind of boss would that be like, working under Nebuchadnezzar? I mean, you you remember what happened in in the, the book of Daniel, in the next chapter. Nebuchadnezzar, he has this really, he has a nightmare. He has a bad dream. He has a bad dream, so he comes to the magician, he comes to the, to the wise men, and he asks them for an interpretation. And so the wise men say, please tell us the dream, then we'll interpret it for you, right? And so, they, you know, they're, they're pretty, they're trying to be shrewd. And what is Nebuchadnezzar's response? He, he says, uh, you already know, you should already know what the dream is all about, because if you don't tell me, It's off with your head, right? The king replied to the Chaldeans, the command from me is firm. If you do not make known to me the dreams and its interpretation, you'll be torn limb from limb and your house will be made a rubbish heap. I mean, can you imagine working under those conditions? Again, I said to you last time I had the opportunity to preach, I mean, we have it good, right? We have it really good. We have it so good. Daniel had every reason to, in the world to, let his circumstances determine his choices, right? He had every reason in the world. I can't live in a way that is characterized by moral excellence as long as the Lord has me in, his, in this place. I mean, can you think of ways, even now, in our contemporary era, can you think of ways, can I think of ways where, you, where we're compromising our integrity to some degree or another, little by little, here a little, there a little, because of the uncomfortableness of your place? I mean, did you lash out in some way, shape, or form in sinful anger against your wife or your husband, your kids, or your in-laws and turn around and blame it on your circumstances, right? Sounds familiar? Daniel's life? I mean, do, you, do we really want to go there? Do we really want to make an excuse? I don't think we want to go there because I think if we do, may I 
challenge you to at least just read the book of Daniel and look with how they responded to their circumstances? Do I need to repeat this? Make every effort to add to your faith what? Say it, church. Moral excellence. Not perfection, but direction. God allowed Daniel to overcome. By the way, every word you see that, that term overcomers, especially in the book of John, it always refers to a Bible-believing Christian. How about the next obstacle? How about the next obstacle? How about looking at the obstacle of giving in to small compromises? Giving in to small compromises. I remember when I was uh, um, a born-again believer, learning. I was still a viper in a diaper. <laughs> still learning. To grow in my faith, I was involved in, in acting, and I would go to New York. Um, I don't know how often I went. I just know I went up there uh, quite often um, because I wanted, I'll just be candid with you, I wanted the world's attention. And that very much, it very well goes all the way back to how I grew up and the interaction and the interplay between my, my, my father and I. If I couldn't get his attention, I will get the world's attention. So I wanted to be an actor. wanted the world's attention. But after, the Lord took me out pretty quickly. In his providence, he would close pre, you know, pretty much every single door. I'm like, what in the world is going on? You know, I wasn't even a believer at the time. And then when, I, when he saved me, I knew things were changing. The Lord in his providence, I found a a small little church with a pastor who was 6'4". <laughs> invited me to church, serving in little ways here and there. And I remember he sent me off. I remember living with my pastor for a, a short period of time. And then, uh, and then he, he sent me to Binghamton, New York, in Johnson City. It was a Bible college there. And um, I remember getting a phone call from the agent at the time. And he says, David, David. You are not going to believe this. And I'm telling you right now, this is a very rare exception. This does not happen, but I'm letting you know that there is a, a soap opera called As the World Turns. Some of you may know that. Um, and they want you. This is not a, a situation where you have to really audition. All you really got to do is just go in there, speak to them. They want to hire you. And it was a lot of money. A lot of money. Now, you can understand how tempting that is, right? And, uh, but the Lord in his providence provided me with, with friends and accountability. He said, David, you ain't going. You're not going. And I tried to avoid the call to let my agent know because I was scared. And, I was, uh, and eventually I told him, I said, you know, I, I, can't, I can't do it. I can't do it. And he said, why? I said, well, I'm a born-again believer in Jesus Christ now. I'm not saying that it's, an, it's a sin to act. But I was afraid to compromise my faith in little ways. Because if you know anything about the acting industry, I have friends still today involved in Hollywood in the acting industry. And if you know anything about the acting industry and the agencies and stuff like that, that will get you to compromise here a little and there a little. Little by little, little by little. I know, even now, but I don't have the strength to go back to that because I know and the Lord knows that I would compromise in little ways. 
here a little, there a little. There's the obstacle of giving into small compromises. And what was going on with Daniel's food, right? Daily ration from the king's choice, food and wine, and they were allowed to eat from the king's table. We're not talking about quarter pounders and fries, right? (laughs) We're not talking about quarter pounders and fries. We're talking about sumptuous meals, sumptuous delicacies. I mean, we're talking about the best of the best. And what were the potential problems with the food, right? In his day, eating it would have been a violation of the dietary laws. It's likely that the food probably had been offered up to foreign gods. But in the grand scheme of things, I mean, why did this matter? Why did this matter to them? Because it was just small compromises. Just small. Just a little step here and there. And also a deadly one, which is exactly why they didn't eat. And there's, I think, an important lesson in that. There's an important lesson, I think, that we all can learn, right? What compromises are you making in your faith? What compromises are you making in your faith? You know, the Babylonians, Babylonians, the, the makers, they, they won't ask you to become one all at once. They just ask you to take one step at a time. Just incremental steps. Just here a little, there a little. I'm not talking about opinions or views. I'm talking about clear teachings of the Word of God where you literally have to compromise your faith. We ought not be concerned about the, the big ones. We need to be concerned about even the little ones, right? I mean, just a little sleep, right? Proverbs says, a little sleep here, a little there, a little. A little slumber here, a little there, a little. A little, little folding of the hands, right? And then, boom, your poverty will come in like a vagabond, vagabond rather, and your need like an, like an armed man. Just a, just a little bit. You know, Peter swore he wouldn't never deny his Lord. You remember that, right? But then what happened? There was someone who said, weren't you one of his followers? Remember that? He, just a little compromise here, just a little lie, right? And before he knew it, he denied the Lord who had died for him. Denied him three times. I mean, did you face any situation this week where you were tempted to compromise your relationship with Christ in some way? Behind the scenes where nobody knows, right? I know I have. I know I have. We all did. I mean, whether we recognize them or not, we all did in some way, perhaps. What's the obvious question? I mean, well, how did you do with that? I mean, did you give in just a little bit here? And there, and for anyone who would say, but it's just a little thing, right? And it was just a little lie. It was just a little glance. Right, men? It was just a little. If we want to be like Daniel, if we want to add to our faith of learning with the goal of being morally excellent, and as I know, I know it's hard. I know it's hard then we have to be committed to to not giving in, to do the best in the Lord's strength, not to give in to the small compromises, making every effort to add to your saving faith what? Moral excellence. Not perfection, but direction. What does the direction of your life say? What does the the direction of your life say? Can I give you one last one? Can I give you one more? There's the obstacle of being distanced distance from your 
God. And why did the Babylonians want to change Daniel and his friends' names? Why? Did, I mean, why? I mean, that, that's pretty smart, right? It's pretty shrewd with what they were, what they were doing, because their names spoke of their love for and their connection with God. I mean, think about it. Think about what they were doing. Think about Daniel. Look at the name. God is my judge, right? Hananiah, Jehovah is gracious. Oops, went too fast there. Mishael, who is like, right, God, right? Azariah, Jehovah is my helper. And so what did the Babylonians do? They wanted to distance Daniel and his compatriots, right, away from their culture, away from their God, distance them from that, and wanted to do this. We changed their names so that they would be called by different names. Remained, you know this, they renamed Daniel's name Belshazzar, which means Bel, one of their idols, right? How about another one? Hananiah, renamed Shadrach, command of Aku, different gods, right? How about Mishael, renamed Meshach, who is what Aku is, see? You see the small little compromises? I mean, you see the pressure, right? You see the culture, you see the Hollywood, right? Fit into the culture, don't stand out. Don't be like Christ. (laughs) Don't be like Christ. You see the pressure. Worship our idols, fit into the culture, don't stand out. And more than anything else, don't show allegiance to the one true God. I mean, aren't you glad that this was written, right? Aren't you glad this was written? Aren't you glad that 25... Hundred years ago, God helped these young men live lives that were characterized by moral excellence. And to whom is all of this pointing to? And I can tell you, the answer is in Jesus Christ. It all points back to the cross. It all points to, to Christ. Someone unfamiliar with this story might think, you know, I bet Daniel didn't live very long. No, the, actually the pagan kings didn't live very long. I mean, that's the point of the, of the last chapter, right? That's the, last, that's the point of the last chapter. It says here, Daniel continued until the first year of Cyrus the king. Daniel's ministry, it was 70 years, almost done, through the reign of, of a number of pagan kings, which is one of the main points of the book, that the Jewish exiles would desperately need to hear. And the most important king wasn't Nebuchadnezzar. It was or Belshazzar or whoever was on the throne at that time. The most important king was Jesus Christ. He is the most important king whose reign and power is illustrated on and over this book. And we read it at the very end. We read this. In Daniel chapter 7, I kept looking in the night visions. And behold, with the clouds of heaven, one like the Son of Man was coming. And he came up to the Ancient of Days, was presented before him, and to him was given dominion, glory, and a kingdom that all the peoples, nations, and men of every language might worship him, might serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which will not pass away, and his kingdom is one which will not be destroyed. That's the Savior who makes the fruit of moral excellence possible. Actual. 
And that's just another reason that people like you and me can have hope. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you, Lord, for this morning that you've given to us. Lord, the fruit of moral excellence, it can be so tough. Lord, we are still incarcerated in our flesh, but Lord, you've redeemed us from the marketplace of sin. You've given us new affections and desires. Lord, please forgive us. Have mercy on us. It's according to your word in which uh, you have promised to change us and to grow us. So please help us, Lord, in growing in every venue of our lives and help us to show through your word those other areas, Lord, so that we can continue to excel still more in the faith that you have given to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.